and welcome to episode 88 of the BM Cast. Not a podcast that's hosted by people that are awake at normal human hours, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott, and I'm joined this week by a special guest, the 10th District Legionnaire herself, Kristen Gregory. How are you doing today? Hello, Scott. It's good to be here. It's uh, certainly a novelty to record a podcast at normal hours. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we both tend to stay up too late. Whether that's playing magic, playing video games, mm-hmm. or maybe just a little bit of doom scrolling sometimes. <laughs> oh, stop. Oh, no. um, today, I'm good. I had leftover chicken katsu for lunch, which is really cool. Mm. Um, I don't know if they you've can. heard of... I found a gluten-free cookbook called How to Make Anything Gluten-Free by Becky XL. That sounds like my kind of deal. It's yep. awesome. You've got all sorts in there. You've got like katsu and tempura. You've got... Um, like some Chinese dishes, you've got cakes, you've got donuts. It's got everything. Oh my god, I miss donuts so bad. I know, right? <laughs> you should you should totally uh, just just be like, Emma, you should buy this book and make some cakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, you're a genius, yes. <laughs> Emma, if you're listening, I require you to purchase this book. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, that's food's always a good start to the day. Um, mm. Other than that, I'm still on a little bit of a high from seeing churches um, last week. Oh, nice, yeah. Um, it was something that we booked, like, back when we all thought this would be over. Um, and mm-hmm. I kind of got to the point, because, like, I don't know about where you are, but at least over here, people are still really reckless, and the, yeah. go- the government's made it so that people can be reckless and not care. Same here, yep. So, like, we were the only people in masks in the concert hall, pretty much. Maybe there was, like, another handful of people. Um, mm. But we had N95s on, and we were safe. Oh, it was so good. Like, I can't tell you how much I needed live music. I am missing it too. I, yeah, desperately. <laughs> mm. Do you have anything on that you want to book on the horizon or anything that you're thinking about? There is a concert from the midnight that's happening in May that still has some tickets available and I'm very tempted to pick them up. The cases here are definitely like through the roof at the moment, so I'm still apprehensive on it. But... I still also feel like I might just need it at this point. That was that was basically where I got to. I just I just needed it. I just needed something, you know. Yeah. So yeah, that was yeah. really good. Um, mm. So speaking of music, I also decided to get into a really awkward hobby for someone that already collects something. Mm. <laughs> so um, we we like to be stressed about budget cards and reprints and stuff with Magic, right? So I thought I'd mm-hmm. take that stress and, and have a look at vinyls. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Oh, Kristen, what have you done? <laughs> I don't know. What can I say? I just got I, the, the live music reawakened that musical side of me. And mm. I was like, do you know what? As I get a bit older, a little bit more minimalist, I say with all that shit behind me, <laughs> I um, basically I'm at the point where I want to enjoy the things I enjoy at the highest mm-hmm. quality and and thing possible and then kind of I don't know just make sure I enjoy them and then kind of get rid of all the other shit so I'm not gonna like collect a million vinyls but Mm -hmm. I'm gonna like you know just like a couple of albums here and there just to just have an experience maybe so yeah a good luck with that I guess because a lot of them a lot of them are super expensive unless they're reprinted yeah I was gonna say getting into vinyl basically guarantees you will never get a mortgage (laughs) (laughs) That's yeah. It's just the, the truth of the matter. I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I needed to sell some magic cards anyway. Um, how have yeah. you been lately? What's been up with you? 
I have been good. I've been super busy just with a number of different projects and stuff, but I did, in terms of magic, manage to get some games in during a little bit of downtime recently. I went, for the first time in months yesterday, uh, to my LGS, the War Chest, in Dunleary here in South Dublin, and I was able to play some Modern. I played some Mono Blue Affinity. It felt so good to be able to just play in a structured event in person again with people that I knew. It was just... Oh, it was fantastic. And the thing is, there was only like six of us playing, but the point was that like we just got to do magic quote-unquote properly again. You yeah, know? just raw, unadulterated magic. Mm. Was Do you yeah. think some of the... I guess the euphoria of that was that you weren't playing EDH. <laughs> you know what? A little bit? Sort of, yeah. Because I do flip between the two. Like, I... I know that, like, at the like, pretty much now, like, EDH is my number one format, and mm. when I get a bit tired of that, rather than going to a different hobby, I just go to a different format, yeah. and that other format is modern. So, mm, sure. it is a nice, refreshing change as well. So, yeah, I've heard yeah. quite a few people in the past kind of say that EDH used to be enjoyed as like the dessert, um, like, mm. like the like you know. T- after the main course of magic, whatever that flavor of magic is, yeah, and I kind of, I kind of get that a little bit because, although like I'm <laughs> deeply entrenched in EDH myself, as as we all mm. know, uh, which I didn't actually <laughs> include in the intro, um, for anyone who's oh, not, yes. not aware, <laughs> maybe maybe I'll do that now. There's a tangent. Um, there you go. We're not interested in in structure and structuralism here. We're just well, this is a postmodern podcast. We'll just put things in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vibes only. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I, if anyone's not aware, uh, I am a member of the Commander Advisory Group. Mm-hmm. So, basically, if you have anything you want to talk about with the format, any concerns, things like that, you should go to the RC Discord and not talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I joke, I kid. I, I quite enjoy talking as long as people are, you know, having a good conversation and not just, mm-hmm. you know, character assassinating people. So, yeah, I'm pretty deep in EDH, but as I say, I also like to play other types of magic. And, like, I started playing Draft and Limited, and Mm. I I loved it. And, yeah, I similarly went to my LGS for the first time a few weeks ago to play some Sealed for Kamigawa. And, wow, it was just, like, such an experience just to be able to just sit and play some magic. Right. You know, yeah. low stakes, just having fun. Like, oh, I've missed it. Just there's something different as well about the one v one magic experience, right? Yeah. It's 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 a different language almost. It's 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 something unique. And I think yeah, I think Completely. that speaks to the popularity of like some of the formats you cover on here, like like Pioneer and, and Popper. Yeah. Part of it is that like you both know what exactly you're sitting down for. The goal is to win and you know Sure, it can feel spiky and stuff sometimes, but it's not necessarily a bad thing because you can dedicate more brain space to playing the game rather than trying to suss out sort of what everybody is looking for from the game itself, which can be nice. It's refreshing sometimes. Yeah, I think so. Because I think, like, in a similar way, people often say that um, environments like an LGS or an event are really great environments for people sort of on the neurodivergent spectrum because... 
there's a sort of you you know what you're getting you know what the situation is you know kind of like what to expect and yeah it gives you that kind of connection and conversation and and sort of experience without having to put a lot of spoons into like social energy yeah uh, and i think honestly that's probably one of the the aspects of edh that can be the most taxing um sometimes because if you have to spend a lot of energy on on trying to suss things out and, and make sure that everyone's oh, okay yeah. and then Oh, heaven forbid someone's grumpy about removal and then you have the rejection <laughs> sensitivity and oh no. Um, so yeah, I think I think you can definitely say that 1v1 magic has a lot less of that because it's just, yeah, we're, we're here to play a game. We're here to win. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Aside from 1v1 magic and modern, one or two other things I've done this week. I built a new Calamax the Stormsire deck that ended up surprise surprise being too good for the kind of games that we play in my regular play group i say surprise surprise because of the commander not because of the way that i tend to build um (laughs) just wanted to make that clear so what i did was i decided to alter it just to make it have a weakness like it's got a weak point and Mm. i don't want to go into too much detail on it now because it actually inspired this week's article which is now up on Card Kingdom and it's about adding weaknesses to casual decks and why it's important to have them there as well so if you want to check that out you can check it out after the show lovely listeners but then also outside of magic the other tiniest little slivers of free time I've had in between like you know doing projects and and dinner and like commander or whatever uh, has been trying to play Elden Ring I basically like sit down and spend like 20 minutes and then get interrupted by something else I have to do so (laughs) it's not ideal but those tiny little like tiny micro doses of Elden Ring have helped me stop getting frustrated at getting killed so repeatedly so (laughs) So have you have you ever played a Souls game before I have over 3,000 hours in the Soulsborne series yes okay I'm still not good at them but yes. So we're coming at this from the opposite <laughs> angle because I've not okay. played any of them. In fact, no, that's a lie. Mm. I downloaded Dark Souls 2 or 3, whichever one was free on PSN. And okay. I played like the opening, walked out mm. into a courtyard, got absolutely bodied by this giant thing, and then uninstalled it. <laughs> um, that sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, so I was like, oh, Elden Ring, there's a lot of hype around it. And then I was like, do you know what? It sounds good. Maybe it's like Skyrim, but with good combat, and it kind of is. So yeah, um, I'm enjoying it. It's um, it had a bit. I think I picked the wrong class though, because the learning curve for someone that doesn't play Souls games, if you don't pick the class that is like kind of tanky and shieldy, is kind of mm-hmm. yeah. You, the, the, the the spike at the beginning is kind of higher, I Big think, because I picked the yeah. prisoner one because I've been doing like spells and shit. So mm-hmm. uh, it's super fun though. I just got yeah. access to. The Moonvale Katana. Oh yeah, yeah. I had so, that for a while. So my yeah. my uh, my inner weebs just like. <laughs> yeah, the, the it's got that like you know the the special weapon art that you can do with the the, the left trigger if you mm. have it like two handed or if you have no skill on your left arm. Anyone that's listening to this that hasn't played a Souls game, by the way, will have no clue what we're talking about here. <laughs> but sorry about that. But we'll be, we'll be quick. But that special ability where, like, the the sword art on that one is you look like an anime protagonist where you're about to like just open and close the the katana and like the enemy falls in half. Mm. Uh, except it throws like blue lasers out. And every single time, now I've respected my character, but every single time at the time when I played with that, I kept using that and just instinctively, every time I went to use that, I just shouted in the room, just shouted, weeb shit. And like, (laughs) 
I don't know why it just felt right well and, yeah right because yeah. like if you um, if you spec into faith as well you can just be like I have the power of God and enemy on my side yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my god oh classic vines gotta love yeah. them um, yeah so back to magic a little um, yeah, yeah. I've been uh, I've been brewing some EDH decks recently I, I decided to build an is it deck because that's something I haven't really done before. Yeah, I saw mm. this on Twitter. Yeah, so I was like, do you know what? I need something that's a little bit casual, a little bit fun, a little bit tricksy. Mm. Um, because I didn't want to just be like, oh, artifacts. <laughs> so I ended up picking uh, Zara, Renegade Recruiter. Mm. And it's a journey so far. Like, I think immediately, like, my first kind of draft was like, I should probably include the group hug because then that fills people's hands and then if people have cards in their hands I can take them. But after some playtesting I don't know if that's necessarily true um, and I think I actually kind of want more threaten effects to take advantage of like the blinky stuff I'm doing. Yeah it's fun though, it's super fun. You get to play weird cards like Reality Ripple and it just it's fun mm. you know. It's, it's a different experience because I think that's what we're all looking for in Commander. We're looking for that novelty of experience. We need we just need that hit, you know? Like, something a bit different. I'm constantly looking for, like, weird commanders to do that weird stuff. All mm. the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. Not only will you get access to all of the show notes and deck lists, but you get to listen to the new episodes a day earlier than anyone else. Visit patreon.com forward slash the BM cast. To join today. There are also free ways to support them too. Just listening to the show is already great. You can follow them on their Twitter at the BMCast as well, and even DM them for a link to the Discord server. No matter your budget, we'll make sure you get your stonks on. Alright, so... Kristen, as is tradition, uh, the guest will usually pop along with a card of the week. And I hear you have one that might be of interest to me this time. Yeah, I couldn't not. Like, it's your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I cooked up something a little special, a little, little is it card. It's mm-hmm. also a budget card, which is also good. You know, ticks all the boxes. Yep. Um, it's a card called Marchese's Smuggler. Okay. It's blue and a red for a 1-1. It's a human mm-hmm. rogue. It has dethrone, but that's not the exciting part. The exciting part is that you can pay one blue-red and a target creature you control will gain haste and can't be blocked until end of turn. Nice. Yeah, like, haste is just great, and so is unblockable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's everything you need in a card. But if you look <laughs> at it, it just, it just doesn't look right, does it? It I yeah, we were saying this before we hit record. This card, it look it up on Scryfall, Marchez the Smuggler. It it looks fake. I I don't know what it is about it. It's like the, the art and the fact that it's like the old border style mixed together. Mm. It just doesn't look like a quote unquote real magic card. It looks like we stumble onto like custom magic cards or something, and this was just like stock art from like some random fantasy game from like the early two thousands that no one has ever heard of. It's it's so strange. It's a great card, though. I really like it. Yeah, like, even the flavour text. Watch your head and your back. That's like that's <laughs> like the typical humour that you see on these custom magic cards. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's great. I love it. Um, but yes, it's. I thought you'd like that one, because I think mm-hmm. 
I've written before on Card Kingdom about how I think like haste is like super important if you're doing stuff for creatures because mm-hmm. you there's no guarantee you're gonna have your board when it comes back round. Um, yeah, you know, slap this ability on Atali or like anything. Like mm. it's, it's happy fun times, you know. Making me want to go brew. Well, that's that's <laughs> what that's what we're here for, isn't it? All right, so. What we're going to chat about this week is color identity in Commander and the design space around it. And you had brought this up as a suggestion for this week because you were talking about... There are a couple of Commanders in Azorius, for example, that have been released recently that are sort of giving a new breath of life to the color pairing. And it's really, really cool to see. And maybe we could look into some of those design spaces and see what else we can get from it or what other kind of interesting takes on like colors or color pairings that we have that might actually be unexplored or underexplored. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, what gave me the idea about this was that I remember us both just absolutely gushing over Tameshi. Oh, yes. Tameshi, uh, what's the full name? Reality Architect or something? Is that the one? Yes. Yeah, that's too many magic cards these days, I can't remember them. <laughs> and the other thing is, when you don't draft a set to death, you just don't remember the names. Yeah. Yeah, Tameshi Reality Architect. It's something a bit different for Azorius. Um, it's mm-hmm. kind of Azorius Reanimator in a sense. Because it's got the... If anyone's familiar with older Kamigawa cards, there's the Moonfolk tend to bounce lands to your hand, yeah. and then you get an effect. Um, Tameshi... Um, lets you then bring back an artifact or an enchantment from your graveyard, which is just really interesting. It's really kind of different. And it's like, I mean, think about Azorius. When someone says they're going to play an Azorius commander, you're just like, oh, so you're playing stacks or control. Mm. Like, I mean, I guess maybe there's like a couple that are not that, but for the most part, you've just got like commanders that just encourage you to sit back and play the control game and yeah. and there's no there's nothing like super unique and kind of mechanically interesting to do in Azorius unless you're like really kind of unless you take an idea that doesn't necessarily fit the existing commanders and then kind of wedge it in a little bit. Yeah. Um. So Tameshi's just really cool because it's it's different, isn't it? It is. It's really fantastic. For anybody that is unfamiliar with Tameshi, by the way, it is two and a blue for a two three Moonfolk Wizard that has a passive ability whenever one or more non-creature permanents are returned to hand draw a card and this ability triggers only once each turn and then it's x and white and return a land you control to its owner's hand to return target artifact or enchantment card with mana value x or less from your graveyard to the battlefield and you activate only as a sorcery so like you said when you show this up against the other commanders that you see say like on the edh rec page like obviously the most popular one is brago because it's all mad blink stuff or whatever but then you have like grand arbiter august in the fourth lavinia azorius renegade you have like yorian is just another blink commander there's there's so much there that mm. there's a lot of overlap with them even rana which was really cool and mm. i really enjoyed that recon it's still just blink yeah. isn't it it's still just blink but also a little bit of flyers which is mm. just like like inia's gale force or you know kangi sky warden like it there's like three things that azorius has done up until this point and that's pretty much it yeah and it's so nice to see a change it's often a problem as well when when one of the things that that color does or that color pair is is just better in other colors or by adding another color because if you're like i like to play flying creatures and stuff then you're like well why don't i just add red and play kaikar 
Yeah. Or just add like green and play Derevi. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, I I personally because of the way that I build, I always find that sometimes removing one of the sort of quote unquote typical colors from an archetype makes for a much more interesting and often well balanced and enjoyable experience. Like for example, I have a feather deck that I made recently and Normally when people hear Feather, they're like, ah, a bunch of terrible cantrips and you're going to stop everyone at the end of your second main. And like, that's that's the whole game, basically. But I decided to make it a blink deck instead of with a bunch of cantrip decks. And without blue, you don't have access to the likes of Brago and that kind of thing. Mm. And instead you have access to red, which I personally think is actually fantastic for a blink deck because I get like Warstorm Surge and I get Impact Tremors. One of my favorite cards in the deck is Red Dragon from AF4. Oh, that it comes just, in and does four, doesn't it? I think. Does four to each opponent. Yeah. And like, just flickering that, like, the game's going to close out very quickly. Mm. But it's sometimes finding those sort of things, because you don't normally think Boros Flicker, that's, that's what I'm going to build. Like, it's normally Azorius Flicker, or sometimes like Jeskai or, or something, but it's nearly always Blue-White X. And yeah, for sure. Changing it around can be real... Yeah, I remember back in the before times, like, <laughs> I had a Golos flicker deck, like everyone. Because <laughs> um, Golos, I mean, you've, you've got nothing better to do, just flick a Golos and get another land, right? Yeah. But yeah, you make a really good point about how removing a colour can give you a kind of more kind of focused and, and a kind of more interesting deck building journey because I find that when you add colours, you just end up with a staple, 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 staple. Yeah. And there's way less room for pet cards and interesting cards and cards to test. And I think with Tameshi, a great example is to look at kind of Esper, because Esper was mm. usually the go-to for kind of reanimating artefacts and, and to a lesser extent enchantments. But yeah, if you just take take out the black pip and just use Tameshi, you've got like a really interesting card. And I think Tameshi also does another thing, which I love it when they do this, mm. is... When a card that is designed for to be a commander, because, I mean, we, we all know they, they do that for standard sets now. Yeah. When it unlocks a certain suite or toolbox of cards that aren't usually played as often or don't mm. have a payoff as such. And I think Tameshi does this because it enables you to use all of the catch-up land mechanics in white. Yeah, like I, I don't have a whole lot of that in my... I have, I have a Tameshi deck that I, I brewed and fell in love with because it's just taking loads of game actions but without going infinite or winning the game because going infinite and winning the game means you're no longer taking game actions and that's my favorite thing to do so mm. just keep taking them <laughs> so i never actually really considered the catch-up land mechanics in that but now that i think about it it probably if i was to put it in based on how it plays at the moment it would probably push it up to like another power level mm. Which is totally fine. Like but... adding the likes of like Archimancer's map and yeah. Keeper of the Accord would probably be the two main ones I think I'd look at. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's it's great to see this kind of design in this colour pairing. And this isn't like the only colour pairing that has these kind of things. Like another one that sort of breaks the mould for me, I have always been fascinated by, is Belby in Golgari colours. Because... It it doesn't read like a Golgari card, you know? To those that don't know, Belby Corrupted Observer is black and a green for a 2-2 zombie elf that says at the beginning of each player's post-combat main phase, that player adds two colorless mana for each of your opponents who lost life this turn. That 
like you said, unlocks a suite of cards that doesn't normally see play, which is a bunch of these small creatures that either tap to ping opponents or when they attack, they cause them to lose life and that sort of thing, mm. which then allows you to ramp into like bigger things. Like some people use Eldrazi. Sometimes people use just like big chunky artifacts or just big creatures. And it also encourages opponents to attack each other instead of you. It's just very, very clever because normally graveyard stuff is Golgari. You're, you're doing right. like graveyard reanimator or just like value town stuff and um, maybe you've got like tribal elves like yeah with with but that's only recently really because the the older tribal elves decks were quite antisocial because it was uh nath of the guild leaf right yes uh which is all about discard which is you know really the most social thing to do in commander is yeah. it not quite no another one of these kind of commanders that i've i've only seen be played a couple of times so far but I, I i figure i'll probably see it from some of the more you know off the wall brewers over time and that's uh satsuki the living lore from kamigawa neon dynasty's red green for a one three human druid and you can tap them to put a lore counter on each saga you control activate only as a sorcery and then whenever they die you choose up to one you return a saga or enchantment creature you control to its owner's hand or you return target saga from your graveyard to your hand green white sagas is weird because like green white enchantress in general is a, a relatively popular thing uh, particularly because of Sithis harvest hand mm. but this encourages you to take something that is in the colors that it normally is in and is something that's usually very powerful but come at it from a different angle in order to have a, a unique kind of experience these are the kind of things that i love that they're doing I yeah. much prefer these over like here is random busted mythic that's perfectly within the colors and the archetype. It it just doesn't fit for me personally. Mm. But mm. and I think I think that it's no secret that we're seeing this kind of experimentation and kind of interesting kind of card on two color mm. cards and and yeah. sometimes on one color cards too because like one of my favorite commanders in like mono color is Massacre Girl mm. uh, mono black. So Massacre Girl is three black black. She's a four four with menace. And when she enters, each creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. That's not her. And then whenever a creature dies, the another minus one, minus one goes on the stack. And yeah. it's really mechanically fun to watch it kind of like tick up and watch everything just die. Yeah. And again, that gives you a different kind of deck for mono black than the usual kind of mono black deck. Because mono black's either usually aristocrats, reanimator, or like big spells. Uh, this one's kind of different. So, like, the cards I run in this one are things like Blade of the Blood Chief, and there's a new card from Midnight Hunt called Necrosynthesis, uh, which is an aura, and that one, whenever another creature dies, the creature that it's equipped to gets a counter. And then oh, when okay. the creature that it's attached to dies, you basically get to scry X where X is how big it was. Oh my god. <laughs> and so it's it's basically a tutor, right, when it dies, because you get to yeah. see so many cards. and. So I run, I run alongside those. I run, um, you know, like the big creatures that get counters when stuff dies. So you've got mm. like the 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 Sengio Dark Baron from um, Commander Legends. You've got the the OG Obnixilus that mm. uh, makes people pay life to tutor and then gets bigger. And so it's just kind of like the goal of the deck is to just do something a little different. It's make a big massive creature and then hit someone with it, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and along the way, make a load of tokens and do some cool stuff. And I think where I was getting at with that point is that I think it's a lot harder to make mechanically interesting three color card plus cards because yeah. they tend to be just an amalgamation of what those colors do. 
And if you try and experiment outside of that, you start to end up with cards that do too much. Yeah, I get that exactly. And one thing that I found that sort of breaks that, or that is sort of like the outlier that breaks that sort of uh, mold is when it comes to say like tribal decks or something mm. like for example i was brewing recently a five color horde of notions deck which just for the fun of it and that allowed me to play a bunch of like weird random like cards now i put a further restriction that i also had to have giganta as my companion mm. so i had to like really be careful of like the the things to add and that allowed me to add weird things in so these restrictions and stuff can be very good and rewarding for those kind of things if you're going three plus colors but if you're not doing that there's basically no reason for you to not run all of the best removal all of the best card draw all of the best tutors and ramp and because why not you know it's interesting you say that because when i look at the my drawer of edh decks mm-hmm. they're predominantly one or two color same and the only decks that are more than that are tribal i have my mardu vampires deck mm-hmm. um Actually, technically, I'm wrong because I have Sir Gwyn as my equipment deck, which is Mardu. But mm. it's that's kind of still very focused. It's not just a good stuff deck. Um, and equipment is kind of tribal in a sense, if we're going to kind of look at it that way. It's heavily um, on theme, at least. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the only other one that I have that's like more colours is I have the Erdragon as a changeling tribal deck. Mm. Um, but again, it's running weird shit, right? It's yeah. it's just, it's not like, hey, I'm playing five colors, so I've got the best cards in the world. It's it's mm-hmm. more like, what weird stuff can I get up to with Liliana's contract and <laughs> like some just like weird stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's interesting you bring that up because, yeah, when I've built kind of more generic multicolor decks in the past, they just don't really feel like they have as much of an identity. Yeah, I completely agree. And for the longest time i was basically almost completely a monocolor commander player because what i like about it is that it if you go monocolor in particular you're restricted to what that color is capable of in its entirety which also means that you have the weaknesses of those colors for example with black you just accept the fact that you're probably not removing an enchantment and you're definitely not removing an artifact that's just part of that deck and you have to just accept that and like I said earlier when I was talking about like having weaknesses to decks, this is part of it too, where the colour combinations and that kind of choice can play into it as well. And it just feels better. Like the the deck that I'm now starting to get known for, the Lady of the Blade Reforge deck, that is just it's it's all like mono red value, which is weird because that's not something that someone would have ever said. Like that string of words has never existed until like maybe two years ago because they decided to start adding more stuff and buffing out red and its identity to become more complete, I suppose. Yeah, I would say they've probably achieved fixing red at this point. I agree. I think it's very, very good at this point. And it's more than just the angry player at the table kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's got so much more than that now. Like, mm. I know that they have added, like, additional things, like, there's more reliable, like, damage doublers and that kind of thing, so it has better mm. closing power. But even without that, like, one of the main and only threats in my Lelia deck is Lelia herself. And if someone blows her up, I'm fine with it, because not only have I probably gotten a card off of her or several cards off of her, but 
I'm very regularly utilizing like flashback cards in my graveyard. I have the card velocity from the likes of uh, Cathartic Reunion, Thrill of Possibility and stuff. Making use of like silly little artifacts like Bag of Holding to like maximize the effect of those cards. Mm. And then you also have all of the Exile Impulse card draw and stuff that Red has gotten recently. Like you just have so much available that even going monocolored in a red deck you no longer, like a few years ago, would be getting to turn five or six and have an empty hand. Like with Lelia on turn seven or eight, my hand, often I have to discard the hand size, mm. which is absurd. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, yeah, because I, um, I have a mono-red Neheb deck that is basically just mm. get Neheb out, make some mana, and then just, it's basically like, it reminds me of like the kind of turbo Pokemon decks I used to play with lots of discard draw sevens, because yeah. you, you want to essentially chain wheel effects and extra combats to eventually then hit one of your big X spells. Yeah. Um, and it's it's definitely a glass cannon deck, right? And a couple of years ago when I built it, it felt way more glass cannon-y than now because we've had so many good new cards recently for consistency. And so there's things like change your fortune, discard your hand, then draw a card for each card you've already discarded this turn. Yeah. You know, because like the, there's still not any extra wheels. Um, well, actually, no, that's a lie. There's imposing grandeur, which is each player can mm. discard their hand and then draw equal to the greatest mana value of their commander that they own. Um, Just on that card, let me tell you, I have that in my Velomachus Lorehold uh, wheels deck. And to hit that off of Velomachus, that is the greatest feeling. <laughs> that, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and, and then you look at things like Invoke Calamity from um, the oh, latest yeah. set. One and four red, which is, you know, it's a mono red card. You get to instant speed, cast up to two instant or sorceries, uh, total mana value six or less from your bin. And it's like, that's incredible. That's <laughs> yeah. so good. Yeah. Sorry, bin or hand? From hand as well? Yeah. Oh, there's so much text on magic cards these days. <laughs> I'm, you, you, you are correct. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> yeah, because I, oh, I could go on a tangent about that. I just, I <laughs> once I get halfway through the front half of a Strixhaven card, I just stop. Like, I don't even know what's on the back. <laughs> <laughs> but what I, think, what I think is interesting that you've touched on there is that Strixhaven has reminded me of it because there's a commander that I started looking at recently that I was very intrigued by. And the reason that I hadn't spotted it sooner was because it was the back half of a (laughs) MDFC from Strixhaven. And that's Yuvilda, Dean of Perfection, and Nasari, Dean of Expression. Is that the is it one? Yes. Of course Prismari. it is. Prismari, technically, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Yuvilda on the front, uh, three mana, two, two, and you can tap and exile an instant or sorcery from your hand and put three hone counters on it. So it basically gives it suspend. Um, except when you go to cast it, it costs four less to cast. But the back half is Nasari Dean of Expression, five mana, three red, red for a four, four. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you exile the top card of each opponent's library. And until end of turn, you may cast spells from among those exile cards. You may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast those spells. And whenever you cast a spell from exile, you put a plus one, plus one counter on Nasari. It's like, that's like stolen strategy, right? Yeah, Basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. On, on a creature that rewards you for playing the cards that you've stolen by getting bigger and becoming a Voltron kill like yeah. it's does it also get counters if you cast cards from exile in other ways yes yeah mm-hmm. so that back half on its own is good enough you could build a mono red version well, of this it, deck all the impulse and, draw right 
Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, I've, I've seen, I've played against a deck like that. Uh, Fresh Maker, great Aussie guy. He has that deck. It's it's really potent when it gets going. Yeah. Really fun. I think that touching on Strixhaven here in this conversation is quite important as well because um, I felt like it breathed a lot of fresh life into some color combinations. Um, yeah. None more so than like red-white, right? Because red-white, for the longest time, it's just memed as like, oh, it attacks, and that's all it mm-hmm. does. And then we yeah. got Feather, and Feather's kind of interesting and cool. Mm-hmm. And then there was like not really anything for the longest time. And then in Strixhaven, we got Velomachus Lawhold, you know? Um, we got the commanders from the commander decks. There was Alibu, Ancient Witness, which yeah. rewards you for going for, like artifact creatures and then doing some card advantage. Mm-hmm. And then there was the uh, the main commander, Osgear the Reconstructor, which is kind of like Boros Reanimator with um, mm. the artifact thing. Because you can basically pay and tap it and it brings back artifacts from your bin uh, yeah. as tokens. Um, and you get like double. So you can do like cool stuff with Anointed Procession and get even more. And you can, you know, mill yourself and do all sorts of cool stuff. And then yeah. as well as that, we had Hoffrey Ghostforge. I was just about to talk about Hoffrey because go oh my for it, go for God. it. God, I haven't even tried to brew him because it's just I, I can't seem to get my head around brewing him properly. But I have played against this, and if it is tuned properly, you basically can't beat it once the engine go, starts running. Mm-hmm. There's just no way you can profitably interact and actually stop what's happening. Yeah, it's so powerful, and I don't think like I'm looking here on EDH Rack. There's under a thousand decks for him so far, and I think that's kind of criminal because. He's so much better than people think. And it's another one of those commanders that just... It came out over the last couple of years. And yes, there are more and more legendary creatures that come out. So some of them are going to be glossed over. But I personally think that's a good thing. Because it means that we can just look back through commanders that have come out over the last while. And find new stuff. And just make brand new, exciting, wild decks that have just been sitting there waiting to be discovered. I personally yeah. love that. But mm. And I think, yeah, you make a great point about Hoffrey that it's kind of waiting to be discovered because yeah. I saw the card when it came out and I was like, this is sick because um, most people kind of know me for my Aurelia deck um, mm-hmm. that I play a lot. And it's a Boros Reanimator deck back before like they printed support for the archetype. And <laughs> um, that deck is built around kind of like it's it's got like altar of uh, dimension to like self mill, um, and then yeah. it uses a really over expensive white card called Marshall's Anthem to bring mm. back a lot of stuff from the graveyard. And in theory, you've wheeled or somehow got an Urabrask in there, so you have haste. And then it, it it's kind of clunky, you know. It got better with Underworld Breach, and it got better with Smothering yeah. Tithe because you could wheel and get treasures to cast everything. And but it was still like trying to put a round peg in a square hole. Yeah. Um, but, but Hoffrey, on the other hand, oh my god, I, I, it's on my list, and my list is huge. But the idea of being able to like just play sneak attack in Hoffrey, um, mm. get everything to swing, and then oh, it dies at the end of the turn, but then you get tokens instead, and yeah. oh, it's so cool, isn't it? It's it's absurd. I, yeah, I played against it about two or three different versions of the deck, um, all roughly the same kind of general idea, but like extremely impressive extremely impressive and i know that if more people were to see it they would start making it themselves you know i have i have another one that i have been meaning to try and brew around over the last while and is that one from strixhaven uh it's not from strixhaven it's actually from commander legends okay but it is the same color pairing 
And I'm bringing this one up specifically because of another commander that we talked about earlier. And the one that I'm talking about now is Bell Borka, Spectral Sergeant. Yes. So, Bell Borka is absurd. And people don't know this, right? 246 oh, decks on EDH Because Say, my friend yeah. Will has a Bell Borka deck. Mm-hmm. And it's good. <laughs> yes. So, for those that don't know uh, what this ridiculously named card does, uh, Bell Borka Spectral Sergeant is two red-white for a star five spirit soldier. You note the converted mana cost, or in this case now mana value, I guess, uh, of each card as it's put into exile. Bell Borka Spectral Sergeant's power is equal to the greatest number noted for it this turn. And at the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. So there's a couple of things here. First of all, it is card advantage in the command zone in red-white. That's rare as it is. And that's always good. But it's not just note the card that you exile with Belborka. It's any card that's exiled at all. Now, this sounds an awful lot like one of the most popular Azorius commanders, Ranar, that we were talking about earlier. Because Ranar... What makes Ranar so good is it's not just giving you value for the things that you foretell, it's for anything you exile at all. So flicker works, exile removal works, all those things, they, they all impact and they Re- all removing work. Removing people's graveyards with a scavenger exactly. grounds that you should play in every deck. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so with that, Belborka, when you, when you look at it from the same lens as you do with Ranar, you realise that there's an awful lot there like white is the best color for exile and you just have access to all of it you can just put it all in there all the exile removal all flicker stuff if you want to as well and all of this is just additional value that you're generating through it and i think these are the kind of things that people what happens is these these commanders get skimmed over and they get skimmed over because they don't have draw a card or ramp on them right yeah yeah exactly most most of the time or they're in color pairings that people are now incorrectly associating with only doing the one thing. Right. You know, like Boros mm-hmm. is like, oh, the attacky thing or whatever, when there's been commanders very recently like Belborka and like some of the others we were talking about where there's a lot more depth and complexity to them now yeah. that and, and is just so as, much more interesting. As long as you have like a receptive play group that aren't going to throw their toys out the pram, Belborka yeah. is like a great possibility storm deck. Oh yeah. Oh Yeah. I didn't right. even think about because <laughs> <laughs> you're you're exiling stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's these are the kind of commanders that I always try to seek out and build around because mm. they're they're something different, they're something interesting. And I know that I tend to build a lot for playing on streams, but it's the kind of thing that I want to build where I show up with a deck and people are not necessarily impressed though they usually are because it's something they haven't seen before they didn't expect from this color pairing and and it puts up a great show uh it's it's exciting to play against or it's interesting to find these new commanders that do cool things like the amount of times that people have been flabbergasted at what Lelia can do is it it feels so good it feels so good Mm. to like visibly see in real time people's like perceptions of the colors just being changed right and i think there's an element there as well of it's fun to jump through hoops. It's mm-hmm. fun to give yourself a challenge. It's fun to to make it difficult because sometimes with the nature of variance in Commander, mm-hmm. it might not be the opponent's fault that they didn't make you work for a win. You might just look stuck into a win because you yeah. drew cards in the right order and everyone else didn't. And so, you know, it's I kind of liken it to how, like, 
if you look at like traditional shonen protagonists, you know, mm-hmm. like you look at your Dragon Ball heroes like Goku, they don't power up to Super Saiyan God straight away. Yeah. They they, they, they assess the fight and they, they, they make it a challenge for them by not mm-hmm. just automatically hitting the nuke button, right? Yeah. And I think that's a good way to look at Commander. You don't just because you have access to all the colors and all the best spells. Like, it's not fun to, like, take candy from a kid, is it? Like, <laughs> yeah. you need to be in your own weight class, essentially. It's why people like games like Dark Souls and Elden Ring. Mm. You know? It wouldn't be as fun if you could just pause and eat 700 wheels of cheese before continuing to walk into a dragon's breath, you know? I mean, I think Emma would like to <laughs> pause and eat 600 wheels of cheese. <laughs> I'm not saying I wouldn't, but, you know... <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it's yeah. about that, isn't it? And But even, it's interesting as well that you bring that up because there's a lot of discourse around Elden Ring at the moment and how, you know, they've, they've patched a couple of things to nerf them a little bit and how some people think they shouldn't. And then mm-hmm. there's, this, there's this entire, like, uh, portion of the player base that are saying, like, well, just because something busted is in the game doesn't mean you have to use it. Yeah. Does, you don't have to cheat and, and use exploits. You don't have to use the best weapons. You can tailor that experience to yourself. And I think... Mm-hmm. I think that's huge like sometimes i'm playing a deck and i'm like oh yeah there's no tech freeze protection in here because i only own two like i don't yeah. have to have it in every white deck you know mm-hmm. uh, i put it in my decks that i tend to play at tables that are a little bit more like spike uh, not spiky but i guess decks that are also playing optimal cards i guess yeah i i do somewhat similar i kind of curate a sort of personal ban list not for a playgroup, but for my own deck building, in the sense that I I have no commander deck that has white in it that has Smothering Tides, for example, and I have no blue deck that has Cyclonic Rift, and I have no uh, red deck that has Jessica's Will, or Dockside for that matter. These are things that I just put on myself because, well, first of all, I can't afford to throw those into every single deck that I have because I would go it would be like collecting vinyl that's how it would be and mm, yeah you know, <laughs> I, I see I, I used to like you know like when a set gets previewed mm-hmm. like I'm very budget budget conscious as you are and I look for the dip and I look to like pick stuff up and if I know that a card's going to be good I will buy more than one but like yeah. as time goes on like I can't justify owning like extra copies of some cards because they're just it's bonkers isn't it like yeah. I was lucky enough to be able to be like, haha, Jessica's will's broken. I'll buy a couple when it when the set comes out. But yeah. you you don't really get much opportunity to then pick them up later um, mm-hmm. because with commander leading prices now, there is no hidden gems. There's no rotation really. Like, yeah, it, it's cards are expensive. You, you don't necessarily need ten copies of the same card. You know, pretty much. I think it's an interesting point to then kind of... We were speaking about Strixhaven and how it kind of granted new life to, like, red-white. And I think it was kind of frustrating then to see, like, when we got to, like, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, Mm. that the red-white stuff was just really kind of dull. Like, the Ryu Storm's Edge, I mean, the artwork, (laughs) Chef's Kiss, amazing, cool. Mm -hmm. Um, But, like, you, you attack alone and get an extra combat if it's a samurai or warrior. I mean, it's like... Oh, that's just so like old Boros and it's not even good because in Commander these days you kind of need to attack with multiple creatures at multiple opponents or not attack at all like yeah. <laughs> and like the other one um, the Asari Commando or whatever I can't even remember a name at this point again the artwork in the set was amazing but like 
put an indestructible counter on it and like like why why is I, that I will say that as, as someone that is not normally a red white player i think that one actually still made me feel let down because the art was so cool when i first saw it i first saw the art and was like i want to build this and then i read it mm. and i was like i no longer want to build this right and here's the thing right I understand that some cards are built for 60 card or yeah. limited or whatever. You know, that's fine. That's fine. And I think I, I mentioned this in an article recently um, about how white needs explosiveness to catch up in EDH, like because of the sort of social faux pas of running the kind of antisocial stuff. Yeah. Like red white is always going to be less good from a commander perspective because it doesn't scale in the same way. Mm. But, like, yeah. even still, for both of the legendaries in the set to be so boring is kind of... It, it felt like, oh, have we gone backwards? Um, and I think, mm. I think yeah, I want to see some more forward momentum, I think, for Boros and a bit more bit more interesting stuff. I, I think... I don't think it's the only colour combination that kind of has this issue. Like, what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, when it comes to, like, colour pairings, there are a couple that I so far haven't really been able to make any decks on and i i want to have you know that sort of challenge where you make one of every monocolor and then one of every color pairing i want to do that but so far there are some commanders in some color pairings that i just haven't really been able to find one like with the exception of belby in golgari and i don't personally want to build that because someone in my play group has a belby deck and it would be very similar or you know I, i'm not a fan of doing that myself mm, but sure. There's in Gruel. There's not a whole lot either. It is somewhat similar. Oh, I try. I try. Do you know? I tried to like Gruel. I really did. I mm. I had uh, Naith for a while because um, mm-hmm. I was like, hey, there's some card advantage. It's kind of cool. And I did Wolfgar before Ishin, and mm. I just I couldn't. I just didn't enjoy playing them. There's just something about Gruel yeah. that just doesn't do it for me. Um, I've since taken them both apart. Wolfgar is now. Like, the cool red cards are in my pile for Ishin that I need to finish. And yeah. the Naith stuff has gone way, like gone back into mono green Ronas because I think that's just a much more enjoyable fight spell deck. Yeah. Yeah. Other things as well, like, I've, I've never really found the range in Orzhov to be particularly wide either. So, like, now recently I found... Killian was very interesting and very cool and I'm sort of brewing a couple of different versions of of him at the moment but outside of that there isn't a whole lot either you know yeah I think maybe we disagree on ours a little I think I agree in the sense that it does feel like the main strategies are kind of done to death and there's not much kind of interesting to like kind of mine in those things um, I did enjoy building the new Liesa recently, the one that um, essentially lets, when creatures die, they go back to your hand, end of turn. Yes. Yeah. Um, because that was a really fun way to build a kind of, sort of, trading one-for-one kind of controly creature-based deck that isn't just mm. the usual aristocrats grave pack nonsense. And it's a deck where I can reanimate and and make Brazella, and that, that makes me happy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think I, I think I know where you're coming from. I think, I think actually Abzan is probably the wedge or shard or whatever. It's a wedge, isn't it? Mm. I think Abzan's the one that I think I find the most dull to like think about because yeah, it just doesn't really do anything interesting. Like yeah, everything feels really samey, and it's just slightly less focused reanimatory stuff than playing Ozov or Selesnia. Yeah, 
pretty much and then like if you try to find anything in there that's different to those things like one of the other things like like plus one plus one counters is kind of a thing there you know but then you're basically just gave and then you're doing gave things you know or like there there are one or two things that are in there that are interesting like during the siege tower i suppose right but then that that goes back to our previous kind of point about how it's tribal it has a restriction or it has an otherwise restriction that makes it interesting yeah um because even if you look at um there's that Abzan legendary, isn't there, that lets you cast legendaries from your bin? Cata's head in hand, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, like, every time I look at that, I'm like, well, I'm already in three colours, I may as well play Sissé. Yeah. Right? And, because, like, for me, if I'm already in three colours, and there's a theme I'm interested in, I may as well add another colour or two anyway, because I'm already so far away from mono or two colour that mm-hmm. it just feels, like, pointless to then pick something in three colour that's not as interesting as something in five colour. Yeah, I agree. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 To me anyway, one hundred percent. Yeah. Mm. I'm and I think that's why I still struggle to like build or keep any like three plus colour decks together because yeah. of that sort of feeling. You know, it might be a personal thing. There are plenty of people that I know that play like three plus colour decks and have a blast with it. Um I think we're ignoring the elephant in the room here as well that is partner commanders because they allow you to do colour combinations. Um, but but again, I think that speaks more to the fact that we probably both enjoy in Commander the kind of identity of having a commander and having that commander be its own commander. And I think partners yeah. are kind of... They don't really approach the game on the same axis. They are more kind of a way to solve, hey, I want to play these colours. They're kind of a proxy for a commander in a sense because they don't have as much identity and you're just throwing two creatures from random planes together that will probably never meet and mm. I think from for those of us that are a bit more kind of set on the, the whole identity and the customization and the personality of Commander I think partners yeah. can struggle to, to capture that because they, they do just feel like hey I want to play these colours let's jam these two for the majority of it I agree mm. um, particularly especially the two colour commanders yeah they they are the most egregious like offenders of this in terms of sort of different capabilities and stuff for different color pairings i do like the monocolor partners for that mm. because yeah. well yeah i think i was making a bit of a sweeping generalization but i'm i'm willing to admit that that was a generalization <laughs> <laughs> yeah like for for example i have uh, seor and arden as partner commanders and it is an it's a voltron deck and it's equipment themed uh, with a slight like affinity sub theme mm-hmm. and that's something that doesn't really show up in blue white now yeah. obviously they're not they're mm-hmm. not specifically dedicated blue white cards you can do but... Arden and Ishai as well can't you mm. um, yeah I, do you know what I think you make a good point if the partners keep within two colours I think that's interesting Yeah, I think when they so. go three or four that's when it's less interesting yeah that's when you just start stuffing in staples and making yeah. good piles but you know yeah. what I you know if that's the commander you enjoy, more power to you. Mm-hmm. It's not what I enjoy. I do it from time to time, you know? I built a um, a Kiri Lion Slinger Silas Wren Treasures deck once. Mm. Artifacts and stuff. It was it was fun, um, but it didn't... It just felt like a pile of staples at the end of the day. Which, yeah. to me, doesn't light my fire, you know? Same, same. Yeah. And I know that it, it does for some people because you want all of your cards to be strong and feel like you're having a good, strong impact on the game at all points. And that's totally valid too. Mm-hmm. I just feel personally, it, it 
doesn't quite slot in with the the essence of what Commander quote unquote should be. And I know that I'm, I'm yeah, air yeah, yeah, quoting yeah. that because mm-hmm. and know, I think I, I, as well for me, if I do want to play that kind of magic, I usually just kind of skip past that no man's land and just go straight to CDH. Yeah, because then I at least know what I'm getting and I know that. Because I don't know, like the I think as well the problems when you have those kind of good stuff decks that are in the middle. The games can be quite quick, but oftentimes they're really long because it's just a grind of power, power, power. Whereas if you kind of jump up a level to CDH, the games resolve usually quicker. And then if you jump down a level, the games resolve usually quicker. Um, But yeah, that's that's um, that's just me. That's just why I like to play. Yeah. This has all been very, very interesting to hear your insights, and we overlap quite a bit on on a lot of this stuff. I am excited to see what they do going forward when it comes to these different color pairings and combinations that, like we said already, have kind of felt a bit stale because mm. they have done great work, like we've mentioned before, with the likes of Belby and Golgari and some uh, Azorius things. And I want to see that happen more with other colors. Like, can you imagine a nice, good, aggressive Simic deck that isn't just a dirtle pile? Like, that, that sounds great. Yeah, and I think, again, if we look at Strixhaven, uh, my housemate Dan, he has a Quandrix deck, mm. which, you know, it's trying to push that envelope of something a bit different. Yeah. So we basically what we're saying is we want to see more Strixhaven-style stuff and more, more Neon Dynasty, like the good bits, um, like, like Tameshi <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Tameshi's so cool. I know. Th- this episode know. brought to you by Tameshi. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. So we'll round out the episode then with a little bit of Q&A. First up, we have at EvTheMage97 on Twitter asked, how do you both feel about fog effects in EDH or fog-esque effects like Hellish Rebuke? Yeah, I think fog effects are great in moderation. Like most effects, they can provide a really fun experience in the sense that like Everyone enjoys a good blowout turn. Everyone enjoys, mm. oh, they've got it. Have they got settled the wreckage? Like <laughs> everyone, everyone loves that kind of thing. And I think, you know, if it's a one-off effect, I think it's really fun. And I think it's it, it contributes to that story of the game, the narrative, right? Yeah. On the other hand, if someone just wants to loop a spar frog and has a ways to buy it back from their graveyard in response to graveyard removal, mm. I'm just going to find another table because. Yeah. I, I like to play creatures, I like to play combat, and I think in much the same way as any other kind of hate piece invalidates a strategy, playing a f- loopable fog basically says to combat decks, you can't play. Yeah. And like the graveyard decks are the first ones to say, oh, don't play rest in peace, it invalidates my entire deck. <laughs> and it's like, well, the, the sport frog's the same. Like, Listen, don't call me out like that. <laughs> <laughs> And as I say, you know, like, if you want to play a Sparfrog once, you know, and not loop it, that's fine as well. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm talking about Sparfrog because it is, like, the main offender of, like, loopable fogs. Um, yeah, that's fair. That, that's what I think, anyway. Yeah. I think when it comes to fogs, I enjoy them for two reasons. One is that if you are putting fogs into your deck, that means that your playgroups or the people that you're playing against have a tendency to engage in board-based magic and more combat and stuff, in which case it's probably pretty healthy, Hmm. which I think is... Adding fogs because you feel you might need them sometimes, that is a good sign in my opinion. But also, like you said, 
the dramatics of it, where, like, someone is attacking for lethal with, you know, even if they, like, they kiki-jiki pestermite and make infinites and they go to attack and you respond with a fog and then untap and kill them. Like, that is a wild dramatic moment. It's beautiful, isn't it? It, That's that's what what you live for, right? Yeah. And I I do think fogs in general are usually sort of underplayed. I think they're they're underappreciated because in a lot of other formats they're seen as bad mm. they're just seen as like why would you run fogs when you can run like actual removal or whichever and they scale totally differently in commander and i think a lot of people miss that yeah and i just like and there, there are plenty of options that you can run that aren't like you know dead in a sense that they're not, they, mm-hmm. they have some amount of like other advantage on them so like you've got equal treatment um, mm-hmm. which says that each creature or each source, I think, deals two damage instead of what it would usually deal. Draw yeah. a card, so you're at least replacing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, um, I quite like Blessed Respite from one of the new Innistrad sets. I was going to say this one yeah. myself, yeah. Because mm. um, that Big one fan. shuffles someone's graveyard in too, which is likely what you also want to be doing in a game. Yeah. What I particularly love about that one is that you can restock your own deck if you want mm. to like get things that are in the bin back in but also use it as a fog but also use it as graveyard hate it's got so many extra modes it kind of feels like it has the same level of versatility that something like say dawn charm has yeah which i'm also a mm. huge fan of or like return to nature or yeah. um valorous stance is one that i really like at the moment mm. give a creature indestructible or you can uh, destroy something powerful or greater uh, toughness for or greater for the two mana which is just hella good <laughs> one of the best times I used Valorous Stance mm-hmm. I was playing against a deck that had a mirror wing dragon okay. um, which is whenever it becomes the target of a spell or ability you mm-hmm. copy that for each creature um, I think is it each creature you control or each creature I think so yeah Yeah. so someone board wiped and I was like hmm I could save one of my creatures or I could target the Mirrorwing Dragon and save all of my creatures in the Mirrorwing Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, yeah, I'll make the the dragon indestructible and then all my stuff's indestructible. And I was like, ha ha, I nice. gotcha. Nice. Um, spicy play. Mm. And speaking of spicy plays, at Cryptrat on Twitter asks, any spicy plays with Bolt Bend recently? Yes, there's always spicy. We could do an entire podcast about this, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Two that stand out to me recently. Uh, the first one was um, I resolved a, like maybe turn three wandering archaic because mm-hmm. I was able to like play a soul ring and another piece of ramp, and mm-hmm. that's always good, right? And so someone untapped and they had an infernal grasp, and they aimed it at the wandering archaic, and they didn't pay. So I also got to copy the spell and kill something else, and then mm-hmm. I bolt bended the original. <laughs> oh, and that. That was rude. Um, but then I think the one that I thought... The, the, I think the biggest kind of spiciest one recently, um, I was playing against a deck that had the um, Sanguine Bond. Sanguine Blood and Exquisite Bond combo. The, the you know, the vampire life combo thing. Yeah. And they had one half of it out um, when, when you gain life an opponent loses that much life. Mm-hmm. And they gained like a bunch of life off of a spell. And I bolt bended it so that I would I like I wouldn't lose the life and a different opponent would. That's very funny. And it, it kept me alive, and I was able to take the game, and I was just like, "Oh, beautiful." That is nice. That's very nice. What about you? The only one that I can think of recently, I was playing on Chase Mana Curves' stream, 
and I was playing I managed to knock out the other two players um, it, I knocked out Chase and I think it was Shmandru Art was the other player and the remaining opponent was Logan Seraph 6 mm. and he was playing his Bruna Light of Alabaster deck another mm-hmm. really cool and interesting Azorius commander and the only out that he had was a detention sphere off the top mm. and he tried to play it and Lelia was at this point I was playing Lelia the Blade Reforged and at this point Lelia I think was at least like 20 or 30 power so lo- losing her then would have been horrible yes so the tension sphere came down and I was like yeah that resolves and he targeted Lelia and then I bolt ended it to his Bruna and oh. then dead so good <laughs> So, so good. So you actually reminded me of. Let me just do one more because this one was really Go good. Um, I was. I, I can't remember what decker. I think I was playing Seguin and I was quite far ahead. And mm-hmm. I had my Seguin equipped up, and people weren't drawing removal. So Magpie, a friend of mine on my Discord, uh, he was playing a Stick Fingers deck. I think it might have been something mm-hmm. else. It was definitely involved black. And he was like, right, well, if we can't remove Seguin, we just need to remove Kristen. So he played. <laughs> Soren Markov and he was like right I'm going to put Kristen down to 10 life (laughs) and I was like Bolt Bend you're on 10 life I'll kill you when I untap (laughs) I honestly think Bolt Bend is one of my favourite cards of all time it is just so good yeah there was some salt at the time like there would be but then afterwards everyone was laughing and it was great so yeah Yeah. it was good fantastic then David on the BMcast discord asks with both of you being big proponents of different red based strategies which aspect of red's color identity do you enjoy the most is it gameplay or flavor or something else um well i mean i i like red because it lets me play aurelia <laughs> um <laughs> that's, that's a short answer I, I think the more longer answer is that i think in multiplayer um there's so many unaccountable variables um that i like to have a strong offense as opposed to a defense so mm-hmm. whilst i do like to play the control seat in like 1v1 magic and, and wait mm-hmm. to kind of turn the corner and things like that in multiplayer and edh i'm i just like to be proactive and if i can see someone's mm-hmm. going to be a threat later on i just like to go ham and kill them and mm-hmm. red allows me to do that because it gives me haste it lets me play the best praetor Urabrask. um <laughs> and yeah you just got to go fast and red lets you do that um, I yeah, you just you gotta take take them out before they take you out, you know. <laughs> nice. I think for me, I think it's something that has been more prevalent recently, and I think over time it's actually going to lessen as more people start to realize how good red has become, and that is the fact that red always gets treated like the underdog. Not that it is, but it always gets treated like it is. You know, because a lot of people still have that old mindset of like, oh, by turn four or five, they're just going to have no hand and it's going to be whatever. Or if you like get your main threat removed, then, oh, they're going to be fine and they're, they're not going to be a problem for a couple of turns or something. Mm. But for example, I, I was playing a game there the other day and uh, I was playing Lelia again and I had missed my third land drop for I think it was three turns. And everybody basically left me alone at that point. Because they were like, uh, he's he's too far behind. He won't be able to catch up. So we'll just let him do his thing. I'd managed to then, by I think turn eight, hit my fourth and fifth land drop. And everybody had tapped low. 
and I just mana geysered, made 20 mana, played Lelia, discarded a couple of cards, and then played one of my favorite cards from Lelia, Bloodbraid Marauder. That's the two mana, three one that can't block, and if you have Delirium, it has Cascade. And the yes. way Cascade works mm-hmm. with Lelia is for every card that you exile, in order to Cascade down, it puts a counter on Lelia nice. because of a weird ruling. Nice. She got 19 counters on her. And I one-shot somebody. That's from amazing. M- well, Mana, Mana I- Geyser is a great card as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but it's that ability that when people think you're out, you're not. Like, mm. that is the best time for people to start ignoring you when you're red, because you will have an op- you will spot an opportunity, take it, and be able to use red's extreme explosiveness to just push through right. uh, and that's win. why I think Urobrask is very underrated, because, mm. yes, early game, he's a stumbling block, like Thalia 3, but mm-hmm. late game, like when you're in their in their teens of life totals, and you know there's been a board wipe, and everyone's scrambling to kind of amass a board, mm-hmm. dropping an Aerobrask late game lets you attack that turn, not yeah. be attacked the turn after, and then attack again, mm-hmm. and that can sometimes be enough. Just Aerobrask and another creature to just kill the table. Yeah, absolutely. And Muntulite on Twitter asks, what's the spiciest EDH play that you've had recently? Ooh, I'm just thinking about Bolt Bend now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm actually regretting not saving my uh, Bloodbraid Marauder for this one now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, what's the most spiciest play I've had recently? Yeah, here's, here's one. It's another red card. Surprise, one, surprise. Of my, one of my new favourite red cards, Cursed Mirror. Mm. Um, yeah. That thing is just... It, it's never not good, right? Mm-hmm. And I've done some bonkers things like in my Chainer deck I've gone, right, I have an Archon of Cruelty. Here's a Cursed Mirror and another Archon of Cruelty. <laughs> um, a swing. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but my favourite one to do, which I've done twice now, is someone plays a Nyx Bloom Ancient and then they pass the turn to me. Mm-hmm. And I go, okay, Cursed Mirror, I have a Nyx Bloom Ancient for the turn. I'll have oh a really God. explosive turn. And then, oh look, here's Rip Apart, I'll destroy your Nyx Bloom Ancient. <laughs> Nice. It's just such a big tempo swing, and the Nyx Bloom player is always so salty, you can taste <laughs> it. Like, you can taste the salt through the screen, and it's just so satisfying to go, oh, you want to do something busted? Okay, I'm going to do something busted with your thing, and then I'm going to blow it up. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. I think the spiciest thing that I can think of recently now is that we i was playing my velomachus lorehold which i've explained before is like a sunforger wheels deck but doesn't have any of like the wheels payoffs Hmm. because i wanted to just basically just draw a ton of cards and attack with a big dragon that's kind of all i care about for that deck and in the late game uh there was there was a point where i was playing with it recently and one of my opponents was basically going to one tap and win pretty much on the spot and I had then top decked after roughly six or seven wheels. I had then top decked a Mizzix's Mastery and overloaded it and caused everybody to lose the game at the spot. Amazing. <laughs> by, by decking themselves. And Amazing. That, every, and now, at the time, everybody was in shock. They were not expecting it. And mm. like they all took it very well. It was with my regular playgroup, you know. It just meant that we could, like, instead of letting, like, a Simic player on top and have to, like, play through 700 spells and then we lose, it just cut all of that out and just allowed us to just start another game and get another game in, which was pretty good. So, yeah, I would say that's good. Yeah, I think we've learned today that 
Red cards are good. <laughs> red cards are good. You know what? The, this wasn't the intention for this episode, but I'm taking it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the final question, not magic related, from All Hail Bolas on Twitter, they would be interested to know both of our favourite places in the UK and Ireland. Mm. Oh, I'll let you go first so I can have a think. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I don't actually like where I live. Um... <laughs> Because like it's it seems like such a like a, a kind of a vague thing because like is it is it an area or a town or is it like a store or a restaurant or okay I'll 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 let you have a think then so there's a couple of places I really like I'm trying to think of ones that aren't food because I like food if you've been uh, to an honest burgers um, in the UK they are mm. not to be confused with the handmade burger company that are just shite <laughs> the honest burgers they started in London. They have places over London and the South. And I actually found one in Manchester recently when I went to that gig. Mm. And they do, in my opinion, the perfect burger. It's better than some of the burgers I've had in the US. It's a bacon cheeseburger and it has Mm. a little bit of lettuce. It has burger sauce. It has mustard and pickles. Mm. And to me, that is like the perfect burger. And they do rosemary salted fries as well. And they're just so good. Uh, If we're talking not food... One of the underrated places, I think, in the UK that people don't really think about. Wales has really nice beaches on the south coast. Mm. Really nice. The wa- Well, I don't know if the water will still be clear, but uh, <laughs> at least the last time I visited, the water is like crystal clear in the summer. You feel like yeah. you're on vacation somewhere really nice, which, yeah, I, I think people should check out the south coast of Wales a little bit more. Um, mm. Yeah. Interesting. So for me, food-wise... It's not very Irish, but the ramen bar in Dublin is like my number one restaurant in all of Ireland, in my opinion, because having had the real thing in Japan several times and Mm. then having it in the ramen bar, there is like no difference. There is no difference whatsoever. It is so legitimate. It is so, so, so good. So I need to come to Dublin then. (laughs) Oh, I, anyone that wants to come to Dublin, you mm. let me know and I will go to the ramen bar with you. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Inability to he- eat wheat, be damned. I'll still have the noodles. Yeah. I don't want to make you jealous either, but I currently have some char siu and some ramen eggs in the fridge and I'm making ramen on Monday. Sorry, I thought you said you were trying not to make me jealous. <laughs> well, yeah. So if you're ever in these neck of the woods, I'll make you some gluten-free ramen. Nice. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, outside of food, I quite like Galway in Ireland, in the west of Ireland. There was a, there was been a couple of times where I've like taken a couple of day long trips um, over to there for a while. There's a lot. It's like it's it's a coastal city and it's uh, it's not that big, which is nice because it's not like super super packed. Um, but there's a lot of like really really good, I suppose, sort of food related. There's a lot of like restaurants and bars and that kind of thing that are nice there, but. One fond memory that I have is myself and two of my friends when we went over there, we rented bicycles and because the whole place is very flat, we were just cycling around everywhere and having a just very chill time in some nice weather. And uh, it was just very good overall. So mm. just, I'd, like to, I'd like to see more of Ireland um, because my family, my side are in the north. So mm. I've not really visited that much in the south. So I would like to, to maybe see some more one day. That'd be cool. I used to yeah. visit my grandma, to be honest. It's just all this COVID business. It's just made me nervous about flying. 
Yeah. And I don't, I don't like, I, I would not forgive myself if I visited and was like, oh, I'm positive. <laughs> My bad. You know, like. I, I completely get that. Yeah. So. Myself and Leanne should be uh, heading to a wedding in Italy in May. And like, that is the number one fear for me is to like end up positive and then like not know it until I get there so like I'm going to be taking like 40 tests beforehand right mm-hmm. but, yeah you do right you do right yeah. but Kristen this has been fantastic I've had a great time thank you very much for coming along before we sign off do you want to let the listeners know once again where they can find you and of what you do yeah um thank you also for inviting me it's been lovely to chat we mm. probably could have gone on for much longer. Um, yeah, yeah, I was, I was definitely, easily, easily. I was definitely keeping an eye on the time, and even yeah. then, I think, I've, I think I failed. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, thanks for having me. Um, mm. You can find my content at Card Kingdom. Is coincidentally where Scott is too. Um, mm. I stream sometimes, do little bits of gaming and stuff. I have a Discord if people fancy it. I mostly do freelance like writing and editing stuff. Um, it's been a bit quiet recently because I've been a bit ill. But yeah, I uh, I've got a few few little projects on the go. So yeah, I mostly mostly just enjoy talking about magic. So you can find all my mm. stuff on my link tree. Um, maybe I'll I'll drop that into the description. Yeah, brilliant stuff. So any plans for the rest of the day now? Oh, plans for the rest of the day. Um, well, what I should do is tidy up uh, and do some chores. What I'll probably do is have my brain say, you deserve a break now. You deserve some me time. So I'll probably just end up going to sit and play an Elden Ring. <laughs> it's a beautiful it's- day. I'll play Elden Ring. <laughs> you, you sound like my own inner voice right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you for listening to us here at the BMcast and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Tom Telford, Anthony Burchett, Christopher McCarthy, Edward Whitney, Evil Vanilla Glaze, Ian Holland, Jeff Eaton, Jonas Khan, Matthew O'Neill, Max Makes Magic, MF Peaches, Minnie Maya, Morgan Roberts, Munsu Light, Nicholas Martin, Ozan Kaplaner, Scott Hanch, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Zachary Morrow, and Tim Newman. And at the Stocks tier, we have a Nice Planeswalker, Alex Gibson, Bo Schwartz-Madsen, Brian A. Madden, Coffee, Everett Brogan, Nerblin, Mickey Paris, Scott Creech, Seamus MC, Simon Britt, Jamie Coyle, and Clyde Anderson. Thank you for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely and wonderful people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagiccast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.